Section 13 of A Lady's Visit to the Gold Diggings of Australia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Visit to the Gold Diggings of Australia by Ellen Clacy. Section 13. New South Wales. About seventy years ago a small colony of convicts first made the forest ring with the blows of an axe, and a few tents were erected where Sydney now stands. The tents, and they who dwelt beneath them, have long since disappeared, and instead we have one of the finest cities that our colonial empire ever produced. The streets in Sydney are, as in Melbourne, built at right angles with one another. They are macadamised, well lighted with gas, and perambulated by a number of policemen during the night. Some of the shops almost rival those of London, and the public buildings are good and numerous. There is a custom house, a treasury, police office, college, benevolent asylum, banks, barracks, hospitals, libraries, churches, chapels, a synagogue, museum, clubhouse, theatre, and many splendid hotels, of which the largest is, I think, the Royal Hotel in George Street, built at the cost of £30,000. Hyde Park is close at hand, with unnumbered public walks, and a botanical garden, the favourite resort of all classes. In the neighbourhood of Sydney are some good oyster beds, and many other picnics got up for the purpose of visiting them. The oysters cling to the rocks, and great numbers are easily obtained. The distance from Sydney to Melbourne, by the overland road, is about 600 miles, but the steamers, which are constantly plying, offer a more comfortable mode of transit. The gold diggings of New South Wales are so well known as to require but a cursory notice. The first official notification of the fact of gold having been discovered bears date May the 22nd, 1851, and is contained in a dispatch from the Governor to Earl Grey. In it he announced the existence of a goldfield to the westward of Bathurst, about 150 miles from Sydney. At the same time he added his supposition that the gold sent for inspection was Californian. Mr. Stutchbury, the geological surveyor, quickly undeceived His Excellency. He wrote from Hill Creek, reporting that 400 persons were hard at work, and that the gold existed not only in the creek, but beyond it. The following postscript was added to his letter. Excuse this being written in pencil, as there is no ink in this city of Ophir, and this appropriate name has ever since been retained. The natural consequences of this discovery was the flocking of hundreds of the inhabitants of Sydney to Bathurst, Sober people began to be alarmed at this complete bouleversement of business and tranquillity. For the sake of order, the government attempted to put a stop to the increasing desertion of the capital by proclaiming that the gold fields were the prerogative of the crown, and threatening gold diggers with prosecution. It was all in vain. The glitterings of the precious metal were more attractive than the threats of the governor were otherwise. The people laughed good-humoured at the proclamation, and only flocked in greater numbers to the auriferous spot. Government now took a wiser course, and finding it impossible to stem the torrent, determined to turn the eagerness of the multitude to some account. 
A licence fee of thirty shillings, or half an ounce of gold, per month was imposed, which, with few exceptions, has always been cheerfully paid. The Turon diggings soon followed those of Bathurst. This river flows into the Macquarie after a course of a hundred miles. Along the entire length, auriferous discoveries are constantly being made, and it bids fair to last for many years to come. The gold is not found, as many erroneously suppose, so much amongst the sand as by digging in the soil. It also exists in paying quantities on the shores, and in the river flows of the Macquarie, the Abercrombie, and Belubula rivers. Major's Creek, too, was a favourite locality, and was first made known by a prospecting woman. According to Mr. Stockbury's report, he found gold almost wherever he tried for it and whilst traversing the Macquarie from Wongumbla to the Turon, he found it at every place he tried. Surely Midas must, once upon a time, have taken a pleasure trip to Australia. The delirium of the Sydney gold fever reached its height when it became publicly known that a piece of one hundred and six pounds weight had been disembowelled from the earth at one time. This immense quantity was the discovery of a native, who, being excited by the universal theme of conversation, provided himself with a tomahawk and explored the country adjacent to his employer's land. He was attracted by a glittering yellow substance on the surface of a block of quartz. With his tomahawk he broke off a piece, which he carried home to his master, Dr. Kerr of Wallawa. Not being able to move the mass conveniently, Dr. Kerr broke it into small fragments. The place where it was found is at the commencement of an undulating tableland, very fertile, and near to a never-failing supply of water in the Murrow Creek. It is distant about fifty miles from Bathurst, thirty from Wellington, and twenty from the nearest point of the Macquarie River. Dr. Kerr presented the native and his brother with two flocks of sheep, two saddle-horses, a quantity of rations, a team of bullocks, and some land. About twenty yards from the spot where this mass was found, a piece of gold called the Brennan Nugget was soon after discovered. It weighed 336 ounces, and was sold in Sydney for more than 1,100 pounds. But it would be useless to enter into fuller particulars of the digging of New South Wales. Panoramas, newspapers and serials have made them familiar to all. End of section 13